for joining us here on Trumpet this Radio Live. Trumpet Radio 101.3 Live. KPCG online at kpcg.fm and a live link of the trumpet.com as well. Today is Wednesday. Dwight Falk and Grant Turgeon with you here today. And uh, some beautiful rain last night. I've been watching the weather. I hate to I hate to get on the weather people too much. But I was watching the weather the other day and they were, they were trying to project ahead like 10 days. They were all talking about what's going to happen in 10 days. Chance for maybe a little snow. And uh, I didn't hear anything about this big rainstorm. We had this big rainstorm. It caught me completely uh, by surprise, but we needed it, so I was glad we got it. Yeah, I was totally surprised as well because I had been inside uh, from like 1 to 5 yesterday and hadn't had even bothered to look out my own window. So when I finally came outside, it was like I was stepping out into a completely different world. Now I finally know what my daughter must feel like when she falls asleep in one place and then she wakes up in a totally different place because we've... We've driven twenty miles or something from right. the time that from the time that she fell asleep. It's it's uh kind of disconcerting to 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 feel like you just didn't know what was going on for that long. Yeah. Yeah, it uh weather changed quickly, but it was good. We we needed that rain. It is funny to talk about little kids falling asleep in a car. Uh my kids do that. And then I if we're on a road trip and then when they wake up I always say well, that's why I can't trust you to drive. <laughs> You're always falling asleep back there. They'll never get a chance because of that. <laughs> and they're, you know, six, <laughs> right, six years old. So, <laughs> I, I've I've seen some pretty funny uh, videos where if someone in the car is sleeping, the driver will slam on the brakes and start screaming. Oh man, which is just such a cruel thing to do. But then, ever obviously, all the passengers think that they're about to get in a wreck. Oh no, that would be just that would be horrifying. Yeah, I always kid my uh, my daughter and my son, both of them, um, when we're going on a road trip and we'll get in the car and I'm like, do you guys want to drive for a bit? Or <laughs> they're, they're always like, well, I, they actually give me the reasons. Like, well, we don't have a license. I'm like, I know. I, there's no way you're driving the car. I'm just messing with you. Well, at least they're they're proving that they're being responsible. Yeah. They're giving you a legitimate, logical reason for that. Yeah, if they took me up on the offer, then maybe that would be worse. <laughs> You'd have to keep an eye on them so they don't take your keys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They can't reach the pedals, I think. <laughs> the uh, Lots to talk about in today's program uh, related to uh, money and stress and uh, topics that uh, uh, a lot of people are affected by. So I thought it'd be good to start out with something that's kind of funny. Uh, because uh, whenever you're, if you have some stress in your life, a little bit of humor goes a long way. Uh, and I saw this and I thought that it was worth commenting on. Uh, the Huffington Post, which I don't normally uh, look at, but uh, they have 40 hilarious tweets about marriage that just nailed it this year. <laughs> so uh, I didn't grab all 40, but a couple that I think are somewhat funny and people could probably relate to. This one lady tweeted, I'm secretly doing an investigation on how many decorative pillows I can put around the house until my husband loses it. <laughs> so I've had that conversation with uh, a few people occasionally uh, about how they're amazed, especially after they get married, um, uh, how many decorative pillows do show up in their house. It seems to be a thing that some ladies really enjoy uh, putting around. Yeah, I, I noticed that too uh, in our home. I think it was like 12 decorative <laughs> pillows on the guest bed. Yeah. I'm like, I, I just don't really see how the people we invite over are going to are going to want to plow through all these pillows to even go to sleep. And our, yeah. even our own bed used to be like that. And finally, we simplified it to three, just one for each of the three of us with yep. our, our daughter in the middle. And that's actually a whole lot easier. And I don't have to have to stress about why we have all these extra pillows for no reason. Yeah. Where do you, where do you put them? Like they're not comfortable in most cases, yeah. and so 
you get out like if you sit in the chair you have to move the pillow or <laughs> the like the bed thing you have to like push them all on the floor when you're sleeping and then you trip on them in the middle of the night so I, I, I don't felt, get it I don't get the decorative pillow I always felt like I had to find a legitimate practical reason to use all those decorative pillows there has to be something more to it than just them looking nice so yeah. I was trying to find like maybe I can put one between my legs maybe I can hold one of the other ones and then somehow at least there'll be a purpose for all of them but with women they just like it to be an attractive view they like the decorative pillows uh another uh tweet here about marriage that's kind of funny it says uh this gentleman says don't marry someone before you see them step on a lego <laughs> because uh when you have kids inevitably you're going to end up stepping on a lego or in my case this happened uh, two nights ago my daughter fell asleep as she likes to do uh somewhere else in the house besides her room and i was carrying her to bed she was sleeping and it's dark and i stepped on an, an on an entire bin of Legos. Oh. Thankfully kept my balance. I was proud of my athleticism. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought, what was that? And then I kind of <laughs> looked, and, and uh, it was an entire bin of Legos. So uh, it's going to happen probably. So you got your foot up pretty high to be able to step in there. It's like you are high-stepping through the house almost. Yeah, I guess I was. <laughs> I'm a little taller, so maybe that's why. Yeah. But yeah, I, I got a whole a whole bin of them. And uh <laughs> That can really hurt. It's, it didn't hurt. It's just awkward for my balance. But if you just step on one <laughs> and you put your weight on it, uh, you're going to have a reaction of some kind. I feel like I would have disqualified myself from marriage <laughs> if I were seen stepping on a Lego. Usually, usually you just start screaming and jumping around on the other foot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's like, why are, why am I being so wimpy about this? It hurts. <laughs> I, this this uh, tweet is very funny and uh, really cracked me up. Uh, this is the husband writing. He sa- it says me, so himself, and he says to his wife, we got invited to two parties this weekend, and his wife says, wow, we finally have friends. And then he says, we're skipping both, right? And she says, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Now that happens. I like that one. That's that's really funny. It, that it, it is nice to get invited out, but then you have to mobilize the troops yep. so sometimes you like to just have the gesture of being invited but not actually have to follow through on it that's the way it is with human nature like you <laughs> want to be invited but maybe you don't really want to go <laughs> right but you don't want to be left out it's funny how that works this uh wife tweets this about her uh, husband she says my husband won't let me pick up wood at home depot because he doesn't want it scratched or bent but i can take care of his children daily <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That happens a lot of times. You do see that where, um, you know, the husband, uh, if he wants to get some wood for some construction, he wants to get his own and make sure it's not bent or bowed and all of those things. Yeah, I I think I've had similar experiences like that as well, where I'm very particular about so many details. Uh, If Anya goes out to buy something for me, she has to be sending me back pictures so she gets me the, the exact right notebook or whatever it might be. But then if it's Loma, I just kind of leave Loma to her and I trust her to do it right. <laughs> right. Well, that's actually a really good point. The uh, The advent of the smartphone has made those things a lot easier. That happens all the time. You get a text, hey, were you, were you looking for this or this? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to describe it. You can just send the picture. Uh, here's another funny uh, tweet about marriage. Uh, the toddler in the relationship was crying because uh, it wasn't her turn uh, with the princess crown. <laughs> and so... Uh, the wife says to the girl, sweetie, you need to share. And the husband says to the wife, just give her the crown, you're 35. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that. I think uh, if if you can have some good humor back and forth in marriage, that makes makes life a lot more fun. That is spot on because there is a balance between uh, teaching your kids lessons, but at the same time, like doing something that is actually impractical or, or not even realistic. Like the the wife wouldn't actually want that crown right. for any reason. <laughs> so why not actually share something that that the wife really wanted? uh, Those are funny tweets. This other one about marriage. This has happened uh, to me at some level. It says, a fun part of marriage is arguing over who deserves to use the charger in the car for the cell phone. Prove it. Show me your percentage. (laughs) We've never argued over that, but, you know, how much you got on your your phone, because I need to plug it in, too, and you're comparing percentages. uh, Modern-day problems, I guess. I always ask Anya why her phone is perpetually at 11%. And, and why she couldn't have just charged it overnight so that she wouldn't have to take up the, the charger in the car, too. Two more. Uh, wife runs back into our house, which is on fire. And the husband <laughs> says, what are you doing? And she says, I just want to straighten up a little before the firemen get here. <laughs> I'm assuming that he's just making a point. I wouldn't imagine that was actually occurring that way, but uh, who knows? Maybe it was. Hopefully, hopefully that's not a realistic scenario, but that that is how things go anytime Anytime I try to invite someone over, Anya's like, "You should have given me like three days' notice," and and it's just not how it works. It's not it's not always possible to give such advance notice every single time. The people are not going to horribly judge you just for not having the house perfect all the time. Yeah, I hope. I, hope. I, I can't read their minds, but I would think that people would actually be thankful to be invited over. Last one. This guy says, uh, "My wife hates snakes, but if they sold snakes at Target, we'd probably have a few snakes." <laughs> In other words, if it's at Target, something is coming home from Target. A big fan of Target. It seems yeah. like women have their particular stores, and then it does it does stretch their realm of things that they would possibly buy if it happened to be in that particular store. Those are uh, some hilarious tweets about marriage that just nailed it this year from the Huffington Post, and I think they're kind of funny and lighthearted. And the nice thing about most of them is I think the husband and wife just teasing each other a little bit it wasn't some big serious you know issue so a little <laughs> bit of fun in life there i thought those were kind of funny if there's a deal on anything too i'm pretty likely to buy it, it doesn't matter if i need it or if i even cared about it before a, a deal is a deal it, you save money <laughs> yeah it, it is very tempting to see there's a percentage off a big percentage and even if you don't want it somehow uh, you feel like you should get it because you're getting a deal and i so, guess really you're not saving money because you wouldn't have bought it before the percentage was taken off. That's it's, right. It's a nice marketing trick. It's great. They And they're very successful with it. I was actually thinking a little bit about that in terms of, you know, this time of year, they're always trying to get people to spend, 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 and buy their presents. And uh, you get all the emails and the flyers and the commercials. And then what do you get the day after Christmas? Now go out and get what you really want. <laughs> <laughs> they, they keep, they, there's always something coming, you know. You still need to go back and buy something else. So the push always is to go out and buy stuff and, you know, give each other presents. And then afterwards, immediately, it's like, go get what you really desired. That is that is baffling why you wouldn't just get it on time for the holiday anyway. <laughs> but I guess you have, to, you have to keep pushing the merchandise. It would be funny if you just walked into a store and started – like trying to make make a pitch or just you know kind of pester an employee to give you a deal because they're always trying to sell things and they they sometimes you just get emails in your inbox that you don't even know how you started getting them mm-hmm. and they're marketing emails uh, they they always have signs in the store trying to sell you on things why why can't it work both ways why can't we also offer deals 
Well, it it does it can. Usually it doesn't happen in the US so much, but uh I remember my wife telling me years ago she she took a trip to the Middle East and spent some time there and um they do barter. That's just kind of the Very way it works. Over there. And she said when she got back to the States, she found herself doing it out of habit, <laughs> bartering with people at the store. And they're like, what? You can't. But you can, sometimes you can. I used to work at a, a retail store when I was a teenager, and, and people would come up, and they'd, they'd find a flaw with the product and say, well, you know, I wanted to buy this shirt. Typically, it would be women. Men didn't very often do it. But they'd say, well, I found this shirt, but it looks like there's a little stain here. And what could you do? Then the store actually had a policy for, like, how you would handle that and percentages off that you would give if they asked. But if they didn't ask, you'd just sell it to them for the regular price. So hmm. you actually can, or if you're going for a big ticket item like a car or something, you walk in there with cash, and then, then you're kind of king. Cash is king. So if you walk in and say, well, I have cash, and this is what I'm paying they might be more likely to kind of work with you. Yeah, it, it just depends on where you go, probably. Uh, certain stores would probably look at you like you def- descended on this float from outer space if you right. ever tried to uh, make, a, make a deal like that. But other places, it's like they, they tacitly expect it. In the, in the Middle East, they openly expect it, and they'll start bartering with you right when you get in the door. So it just depends where you are. But um, it does seem like that would be a pretty effective way for any store to do it because a sale is a sale. They still would make a profit even if they marked it down a little bit. You're getting rid of the merchandise and trying to turn it over, which is a big goal of, of retail. They should Each store should have like the barter aisle to where if you just oh, want to yeah. pay regular price, don't worry about it. But if you want to barter, <laughs> go to the barter aisle. Put in some work. <laughs> Put in some work and see if you can get it uh, the deals. There's a uh, report out by Gallup polling that 8 in 10 Americans are afflicted by stress. That's 80%. Who are these 20% that don't have any stress in their lives? Uh, probably uh, jobless and without a family and everything else. I mean, it's it's pretty impossible to not have any stress unless, unless you're not doing anything. Yeah, and that actually... Um, you hit the nail right on the head there. That Oops. Those, <laughs> those, that, those that are a little more stress-free are typically older, don't have kids uh, at home anymore, and then in a lot of cases maybe are retired and they don't have. But then I suppose they have other types of, I don't know, boredom. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of hard to find that equal that equilibrium between too stressed and too bored. Kind of want to be right in the middle. Mm-hmm. The kids, kids are really, they wear that on their sleeve, you know. I got so much to do, and then as soon as it's done, they're like, well, I'm bored. <laughs> so that's always kind of in the middle. Yeah, it's uh, like you're in you're in third grade. Why are you always telling me how busy you are? I don't think you have an understanding of what the word busy means. Right. Yep. They uh, this survey says that about eight in ten Americans say they are frequently or sometimes encounter stress in their lives, which is not that unusual. Uh, just seventeen percent say they re- rarely feel stressed, and four percent say they never do. So that twenty percent is rarely or never. Although stress is common, just 41% of U.S. adults say, in answer to a different question, that they lack the time they need to do the things they want. The majority, 59%, tend to think they do have enough time. So some people are dealing with just a time crunch, and I think that's a lot of times where you see stress come around is when there's a time crunch. Americans were asked about their stress and the time pressures in a December 4th through 11th Gallup poll. This is the first year the questions have been updated in a decade after being asked uh, each December from 2001 through 2007. So the numbers altogether aren't necessarily greater than they've ever been. It's kind of the same as it's always been. But as as was mentioned, their age is a major factor in whether one feels stressed and time pressured. If you're older than 50, particularly those 65 plus, 
much, much less likely than those that are younger uh, to feel stress. And uh, relatedly, being short on time and feeling stressed are much more common experiences if you're employed and if you have kids that are under 18 because of just the time obligations. And it does also seem like another cause of stress would just be having the wrong priorities because we do tend to make time for things we want to do. But then if that in turn crowds out the necessities and the important things in life, uh, then we're just perpetually falling behind on our schedules and our to-do list, and that can really stress us out too. Yeah, that's always, I guess, uh, the one of the, the main lessons when it comes to dealing with stress is that if something's stressing you out, if you just take care of it, then, you, you know, if it's something you can take care of, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. You know, homework, something like that, or a I don't know, it could be a project at work as you get older or something like that where if you just take care of it, then you can stop worrying about it as opposed to the procrastination. And I remember uh, years ago there was a really good uh, article, and I think it was a Trumpet Daily program as well, where Mr. Stephen Fleury talked about the example of putting rocks in a jar. And if you put all the little ones in first, the non-important, less important things in your schedule, you don't have room for the big ones. But if you take care of the big things right away, and of course, for a Christian, that would be your prayer and your study and so forth. But then there are other physical things too. Uh, then there's room for those smaller rocks that can kind of fit in the around. But obviously, if you put in all the little ones first, you can't get those big ones in the jar. So it's a great word picture for time management. Yeah, very true. I, I still remember how effective that analogy was. He was talking about, I think, a professor telling that to his class maybe. And uh, he even said after you put in the big rocks and then the pebbles to fill in the spaces between the big rocks, then you can just fill the rest of it with sand. So it's like if you just put in the most important things and, and, and fulfill those in your schedule first, you end up having plenty of extra time. Uh, you have probably hours a day that you can then spend on other things, the things that maybe would be enriching hobbies but wouldn't necessarily uh, be the things that you had to do. Right. It's interesting, too, though, with this stress survey, um, because they're, they're obviously asking older people. And it would be interesting to see what the younger generation says because I think those are the people that are affected more by the new technology, the the smartphones and the Facebook and all that, um, and social media, because even for myself, I have a smartphone. I used to not have one because they weren't around, but I'm not, it's not as much a part of my life as it would be probably, say, if it was a teenager. You know, I, I uh, check my email and look at a couple of things and check the weather, um, but I'm not it's not part of my social world. So for me, it doesn't probably affect me as much, but, uh, if people are younger, it'd be interesting to look at how much their stress levels have changed because they make the point here in this Gallup poll that the numbers for adults haven't changed a whole lot in a decade. And they do bring in, okay, we have new technology now and they, they're guessing and they don't know, but they're guessing that while the technology has made some things easier for people and reduced some stress, for example, you can do online banking. You don't have to go to the bank. Um, but there's more stress that comes from some of the social media. And maybe for adults, it's sort of balanced out. Like the technology has made some things easier, but then increased stress in other areas. So you're sitting at the same level. Uh, and that may be true. I don't know. But I do wonder about the younger generation as it compared to a generation ago when they didn't have the technology they weren't so tuned into social media are they more stressed today than they were back then there's probably the two main types of people without 
jobs and families as part of their everyday lives. There's the elderly, the retirees. They've already lived a very long and uh, eventful life, and now they're uh, they have some free time. Probably they don't feel stressed because they've already they've already lived. They've already taken care of what needed to be done. They've been able to retire successfully. But if you're talking about the younger group that might not have a job and might not have a family. Uh, in their lives, the technology is far more important because that's a thing that has developed with that generation. We've seen how uh, in studies studies showing that technology actually does increase stress levels big time, but also the fact that maybe they haven't done much in life yet and they're they're trying to move forward, but they feel like they're being held back, whether it's by uh, student loan debt or by uh, the job market, whatever it might be, uh, the trend of getting married later and, and not having a family. Those things could also weigh on you beyond just the the technology aspect. Yeah, interesting numbers there. There's a it ties in very well to what's on the uh, trumpet.com today. You can be happy in a sad world by Dennis Leap. And he said here's what positive psychology doesn't know about true happiness. So it's a really good write up about how to be happy. That's something people always want. There's no one out there that says, I wish I just wasn't so happy all the time. <laughs> People want to be happier. Does it come through money? Does it come through power? Does it come through uh, success, uh, lowering your stress? You know, what, what, what's the, the magic uh, <laughs> formula that everybody seeks uh, for happiness? So he, he takes a look at that in the uh, trumpet today. And certainly those physical factors can, uh, can, I guess, provide a little bit of freedom from stress, having, having money, having stability, having uh, freedom or maybe a flexible schedule or a fulfilling job and a family life. All of those things, in a way, can, can help you uh, get, get rid of stress and, and find more happiness. But uh, there is something deeper to it, and that's what's covered there. Really good write-up there at thetrumpet.com today, and he talks about uh, King Solomon a fair bit as well. He uh, had it all, as they say, and uh, he didn't have the happiness that he wanted, at least not for a time. Uh, the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today also with your host, Stephen Flurry. Make sure you check that out. A few topics today, including talking about Sigmund Freud. That's uh, <laughs> that what it says? <laughs> well, yeah, Sigmund Freud. That's but amazing. He is, uh, there was a write-up that he was uh, talking about a fair bit where uh, they did refer to him as Sigmund Freud. <laughs> and uh, some people, you know, look at Freud like he, uh, he really was on to something there. But the more you look into his uh, personal life, he was a pretty fraudulent individual, and he was uh, taking advantage of people to just make some money. <laughs> like he was probably thinking, so they're buying this, huh? Okay, but uh, he had a pretty pretty rough life. So if people are looking to him as some sort of uh, 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 author for truth, they're going to be uh, sadly disillusioned. I think just another symptom of our upside down world that he is looked to as a role model while people like Washington and Jefferson are undermined as racist slave owners. It, Sigmund Freud went insane and he died in his early 40s or did he kill himself? I forget. Um, it, it's either he lost his mind and died from that or he took his own life. So it, he, he certainly didn't have a happy life and the ideas in his head were what really drove him off the wall. He didn't believe in absolute truth. He believed in any type of immorality as long as it gratified your senses and, and gave you that temporary pleasure. Uh, those types of ideas will warp the brain and drive you to insanity at some point. Yeah, he was a pretty hardcore drug addict too. 
for uh, about 15 years or so. So uh, not not probably the individual that you'd want to look to for some sort of advice. But uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, education is sort of based on his thinking. So mm-hmm. really uh, important program there, especially when you see where uh, things are going in today's society. Like the Trumpet Hour program is on today as well. And uh, Dennis Leap has a segment in there talking about just the, the transgender movement in the schools. And uh, it's it's just amazing how uh, it's like like anything is it goes nowadays. You know, the there are there are hardly any more rules to proper behavior. Uh, you know, you, you sit here and you think how much worse could it get? Like how much more corrupt could society get? But the, just when you think it, it couldn't get any weirder something else comes along but again when you when you throw the bible out and the law of god what do you have to go on you know ideas from somebody like sigmund freud yeah and you know i think i might have been thinking of friedrich nietzsche he might have been the one who went insane but those those two are kind of paired together as as these founders of the the rationalizing way of thinking and and they they do get really off track in their ideas and and yet we have our society following those ideas today uh, it's not it's not leading to happiness. We're seeing so much confusion in education, our children being warped and twisted by these perverted teachings of transgenderism and all kinds of graphic sexual instruction that is deeply perverted. And even the philosophers Plato and Socrates had their own issues, and 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 they are uh, the founders of our educational system. We're we're getting our influence from. A lot of questionable characters. Yeah, Freud. Uh, he uh, fled from the uh, the Nazis because uh, he, he was in Austria at the time. He died in exile in the UK in 1939. So he. Uh, it's interesting how he had to uh, <laughs> flee from the ideas of a madman, but he had some <laughs> of his own ideas too. He probably uh, was uh, supportive of some of those socialistic ideals. Well, it's like anything. I mean, if 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 a person is not looking to the Bible for the foundation of their beliefs, then who's to say what's right or wrong? I mean, one idea, why is one idea crazier than another? That's where it gets strange mm-hmm. and, and very uh, um, uh, <laughs> stressful, I guess, to say the least, because you don't have anything to pin your thoughts on other than your own ideas or somebody else's, and those, those change uh, quite frequently. And if, if you're someone who doesn't believe in absolute truth, then how can you also judge anyone else for anything they might believe so it doesn't matter what kind of depraved ideology someone might prescribe to if if you are someone who doesn't believe in absolute truth well that that crazy idea could just be their own personal truth you can't condemn anything that's exactly what we see in society that's why all types of immorality aren't condemned the way they should be because it's just seen as oh well that's just how this person feels and who am i to judge Really interesting Trumpet Daily Radio show and uh, also Trumpet Hour today. So make sure you check those out here on KPCG. And, of course, you can find them uh, online, the podcast, as well at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com. And uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And if you'd like to send an email, send that in to comments at kpcg.fm. Today is the 20th of December uh, in 2001. On this day, the U.S. Congress passed a $20 billion package to finance the war against terrorism taking place in Afghanistan at that time. What has happened since? Well, there's been 2,403 U.S. military fatalities, according to Operation uh, Enduring Freedom. 
31,000, that's the approximate number of Afghan civilians killed as a result of the war through August 2016, according to Brown University's Cost of War Project. An additional 41,000 civilians have been also uh, injured in the war. Uh, $783 billion, that's the total amount spent on Afghanistan in direct war appropriations through fiscal year 2016. Uh, the group estimates that when taking long-term finances into account, such as veteran care and interest on debts, the war's total cost may actually be approximately $1.8 trillion. $117.26 billion, that's the amount appropriated for Afghanistan relief and reconstruction since 2002, according to the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. And after all that, 66% of Afghan people believe the country is going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so a lot of uh, lives uh, lost, a lot of money spent. What do we have to show for Afghanistan since 2001? There's a really powerful section on the trumpet.com. It's called the trends, web, uh, the trends section, and there's one article in there about how America has won its last war. And it talks about how there is this anti-warfare mentality that took root during the Vietnam era in the 1970s. And what happened was America started thinking that it shouldn't even be involved in these conflicts. Uh, soldiers were dying, and that was wrong. Uh, but the, the paradox there is that soldiers sign up for that. They are going into something like that knowing that they're willing to make that sacrifice. And by being anti-warfare, all it's doing is inviting more wars. More nations are going to want to fight against us if we are going to run from that anyway. And so in the process, we're actually losing more of our soldiers' lives by not dealing decisively with these issues in the first place. Afghanistan is just one of many results of that failed policy of being anti-warfare. That's an excellent point. We could have taken care of the problems in Afghanistan with less money, uh, with uh, less lives cost if we would have gone into just to win instead of kind of half going in. And It's a complex area. I mean, I don't mean to minimize that. It, there's all these different tribes and the, the tribal uh, uh, leadership. And um, from what I've read, you know, they knew the U.S. money was coming. And so they were they were willing to be anybody's friend as long as they got paid and say, oh, yeah, we'll work with you. We'll cooperate. And, you know, where's the money at? And then uh, they're able to just wait people out and say, well, we'll just wait until they're done and they leave and we'll just get back to what we're doing. So uh, it's hard to go in and have sort of this surgical war where you, you know, say, OK, well, who's a terrorist? And they're not going to admit to it. They're going to hide. They're going to. So um when you don't go in for complete and total victory, there's not a lot you can do. And also, I think if you go in with this idea like, well, you have to sort of preserve their lifestyle or what they're doing, well, how are you going to do that? You can't do that. You have to go in and say, well, look, we're the conquering power and things are going to change. There have been some things. I mean, they have tried to get some education going and they have tried to do some things that have you know, maybe helped a little. But again, this idea that you have to respect all these cultures where – if it's a bad culture, maybe it shouldn't be there. I mean, or, or you know, get rid of the bad elements of it because there's a lot of bad elements there. Terrorism doesn't come from a good culture. And I think people just want to tiptoe around that as if, well, we can't step on their culture or their beliefs. Well, yes, you can. <laughs> and sometimes you probably should. 
that's just part of the political correctness movement that every culture is equal, no matter what kind of vile things come out of certain cultures, no matter how backward or perverted certain cultures might be. You have to embrace it. You have to be open-minded and tolerant of it. And, And like you said, if a culture is producing terrorism, why not? Why not obliterate? Why not win a total victory and wipe out any threat of them attacking America? And now if they're going to do their own thing and have their own ways of living in their far off Middle Eastern nation and they don't bother America, that's not really too much of America's business. But at the same time, if they're a threat, if they are extending beyond their borders and threatening America, you have to deal with that decisively. Well, a great example is just to look at ancient Israel going into the promised land and the way they were instructed to deal with the people. And in a lot of cases, they, you know, God said very specifically, don't get into what they're doing. That's why they're not going to be here anymore because they're living in a corrupt way. And he laid out very specifically, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. And if you look at the social changes in the U.S. today even, those were the things that God told them not to do. And that we're already being done in those nations. You don't don't act this way. Don't live this way. Don't conduct yourself this way. You can go read all that history. So there, the, when the idea comes up that like these new these social changes are some new thing, they they were being done thousands of years ago, and God knocked people out of their lands because of it. And that's a warning for us today, too. Right. A lot of those cultures that ancient Israel came across were sacrificing their babies to, to the fire because it, it was in service to their false gods. They were engaging, engaging in all types of like perverted sexual practices and, and, and I mean, even, even just debaucherous parties where anything goes. And that, that's, that's the type of culture, the type of, I don't even know if it's worthy of being called culture. It's just a type of lifestyle that they had. And so if that is what a nation is coming up against, there should be no need to think that you need to carefully step in there, be respectful of that culture, try to preserve it. All it does is undermine a war effort anyway. War is about winning. It's not about uh, letting letting a certain culture continue to exist, even if they would gladly destroy America if, if given the chance. And, and hurt their own people, too. I saw a report the other day about the Yazidis, the ones that ISIS came and, and took a lot of them. And now that ISIS is kind of on the back foot, they uh, some of these Yazidis went back to their, their villages and uh, they f- t- followed this one young lady around. And, I mean, the stuff she's experienced, I can't even imagine. Like, she couldn't even really talk about some of it, you know. Uh, is there anything good in that <laughs> culture in those situations for those people? Of course not. So now ISIS wasn't extreme, obviously, but uh, not that far off from some things that go on in those regions anyway. So anyway, that's uh, just an ongoing quagmire for the U.S. December 20th today in 2001. We kind of got into it. Congress passed $20 billion package to finance the war against terrorism taking place in Afghanistan. And even that, calling it a war on terror or war on terrorism is just an extremely vague way of approaching it that's like uh as as that america has won its last war article talks about calling um the war against the nazis the war against germany a war on blitzkrieg it's like it's like confronting their battle strategy instead of actually confronting the evil groups that are carrying that strategy out when world war ii is a great example because until America obtained victory with the Allies, 
They didn't know half the things that Hitler was doing. They didn't know what he was doing until they went in there and opened up those concentration camps. They had no idea. And so, you know, if you if you wait sometimes to 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 act, uh, you probably won't even know half the atrocities. Mm. So, you know, now granted, we you know we were fighting them because they were trying to conquer us too. <laughs> so we, there was a there was a battle there, but uh, you know who knows what's going on in some regions of the world. We probably don't even know the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, there is just some abominable filth in some of these countries that America has tried to win victories against. I mean, even even whenever they went into Afghanistan, they should have gone right after Iran, possibly Saudi Arabia as well for for being the home of nearly every terrorist who perpetrated the 9-11 attack. Instead, they went against Afghanistan because Afghanistan had no friends. Uh, the types of things the soldiers saw over there were just unbelievably perverted, where they homosexuality and pedophilia are far more prevalent over there than they even are here. And it's even right out in the open, all kinds of just just disgusting filth. And to think that you have to preserve that way of life and not just completely crush it out of existence is is a weak way of thinking, and it's never going to get you a military victory. And we continue to have uh, difficulties over there. And as you said, uh, uh, Herbert Armstrong said years ago that we had won our last war based that on Bible prophecy that uh, if we're not following God's laws, then he would, we'd, he'd break the pride of our power. And uh, we see that. And you read the numbers there when you look at the Afghanistan war and these other efforts and has resulted in a lot. Uh, we want to take a look at a really great book here over the next few days, probably weeks, uh, Solve Your Money Troubles. This is an issue that's always important for everybody because everybody needs money. And uh, this book is uh, a great uh, tool to help you put your financial house in order. And regardless of the financial condition and regardless of surrounding economic conditions, uh, people can prosper. Now, we're in a time where there's a little bit of a rebound in the economy, at least on the surface. People are kind of excited. There's been some good growth. Uh, The tax cuts recently passed, so everybody's excited. Well, some people are excited about that, I guess. And so there are some positive signs. However, uh, there are some signs that things aren't great either. Now, so whether it's it looks good or it doesn't look good, the point is to take care of your personal finances and put yourself in the best possible position. I mean, we can't control the global economy or the U.S. economy, but we can control our own households, and that's what this book focuses on. Yeah, apparently that tax cut is actually supposed to make our paychecks bigger by next month. Uh, that's what I heard. Bring it on. Uh, that would be pretty nice, but but you're right. We shouldn't be dependent on the government passing legislation, and that's the only way we survive financially. There are some practical steps to take to be virtually independent of these uncontrollable forces in the world. The mood is improving in the country financially. Gallup uh, t- took a look at American-specific financial worries and uh, they're less worried in 2017. And here are some of the numbers. Not having enough money for retirement. Uh, less worried than they used to be. Only 54% are worried as opposed to 64%. Not being able to pay medical costs in the event of a serious illness or accident. Not being able to pay medical costs for normal health care. Not being able to maintain the standard of living you enjoy. Not having enough money to pay for your children's college and so on and so forth. In every case... Americans feel a little bit better than they did last year. However, there is a reality that is not as pleasant. 
USA Today says the average American household carries $137,063 in debt, according to the Federal Reserve's latest numbers. Yet, the U.S. Census Bureau reports that the median household income was $59,039, suggesting that many Americans are living beyond their means. And here's how that debt breaks down. Household debt, average U.S. household debt in specific categories. I've seen a couple of different numbers on the credit cards. This report says 16000 I've seen another one recently that said 8000 I'm not sure if they're looking, if they're combining it all or what they're looking at. But anyway, thousands. We can say that <laughs> safely. Auto loans, it's about $29,539. Student loans, $50,000 for some. And mortgages, about 182421 A little bit different there because maybe that's an asset you can maybe sell, but still. When you look at uh, overall debt numbers, the debt is higher than what uh, the income levels are. And Americans owe a lot in credit card debt, no matter how you break it down. More than $1 trillion, that's greater than the GDP of all but 15 countries. <laughs> American consumers on credit cards owe more than the GDP of every country in the world except for 15. And there is a clear connection there between the the way that Americans feel about the economy and maybe that relaxed, complacent mindset, and then these foolish financial decisions that we're seeing. Anytime you feel like you have financial leeway, it's a lot easier to make big-time financial mistakes, and maybe people aren't feeling it yet. Maybe they don't feel there's an urgency to pay off those credit cards or to uh, pay off the mortgage or whatever it might be. But what if something happens and someone... What if you lose your job? At that point, you're in a lot of debt. And you, regardless of even if you had uh, debt, you, you don't even have any savings either. It's it's a bunch of debt, no savings, pretty much at the whim of your employer at that point. It's a recipe for a lot of stress and a potential disaster. And, of course, the point of talking about this isn't to make everybody feel bad. Uh, it is to show that there's a way to make some changes there uh, if necessary, there and in in the financial health also ties into physical health. There's a really interesting report here, titled "Financial Stress and Its Physical Effects on Individuals and Communities," by Lori Choi, Federal Reserve Bank, Bank of San Francisco, and she's she's talking about the recession. I guess we're kind of coming out of that on some level, but but still some good points here. She said the recession led to a number of other symptoms that haven't been getting enough attention. Headaches, backaches, ulcers, increased blood pressure, depression, and anxiety, just to name a few. Extended periods of stress can take their toll on physical, mental, and emotional health, compounding the difficulties that many low- and moderate-income communities face during troubled economic times. Harkening back to the Gallup poll we talked about earlier about stress levels, I don't think you'd be surprised to find out that lower income people have more stress than those that are doing a little better. So fi- getting getting in shape financially has a lot to do even with getting in shape physically. Yeah, that's really true. And we've probably all experienced those types of symptoms from time to time. If it's a particularly stressful or tight time financially, even if that, that passes and we uh, get beyond that, we still know what it feels like. Uh, to occasionally have uh, or occasionally be a little bit more cash strapped. And that it's definitely true. Uh, you do feel a little bit more tired. You do feel a little bit more 
negative and, and weighed down, and that can easily lead to sickness. So even there, that's just proof that uh, getting things right financially is crucial. This booklet, uh, Solve Your F- Your Money Troubles, actually does show how urgent we need to be about uh, building a savings, getting out of debt, uh, starting to apply these laws immediately, and uh, the health benefits are just one aspect of that. Right, and I think you know you don't want to be stressed or, or like worried about things too much, but but then you do want to be urgent about taking action and doing what you can. Uh, they say when people are dealing with significant debt, they are much more likely to report health problems, according to an Associated Press AOL Health poll. Roughly 10 to 16 million people are suffering terribly due to their debts, and their health is likely to be negatively impacted, according to uh, Paul Lavrakis. He's a research uh, psychologist who analyzed the results of the survey. Uh, the body reacts to stress with a fight-or-flight response, which releases adrenaline and cortisol. Those are major hormones associated with stress. In situations of persistent stress, the body adapts to adverse conditions by establishing a new state of equilibrium with these elevated levels of these chemicals, and that can cause a lot of harm to bodily systems, blood pressure, heart rate, memory, mood, and immune functioning. So basically, as you are have this elevated stress in your life all the time, your body uh, adapts to it, but it's going to affect, like it says, your heart, your blood pressure, all these other things. We're not we're not designed to live in that elevated stress level. That, those are for emergencies. <laughs> and the, if you live in an emergency mode all the time, it's going to cause problems. And having that much adrenal, adrenaline pumping through you that regularly for so long only leads to an adrenal crash, and then you have less energy all the time. That's a that's a pretty often overlooked aspect of it as well just just the fact that not only can this start shutting down your organs which of course we're going to pay more attention to but it can lead to you just being low energy all the time from that point forward just because uh, you got yourself in that situation where the stress was so overwhelming they say finally here the threat of ongoing debt or insufficient income can result in feelings of loss of control anxiety other mental and emotional distress. In addition, chronic uh, financial stress has been linked to a cycle of increased workplace uh, absenteeism, diminished workplace performance, and depression. So exactly like you said, even if it's not to the point of some major health problem, depression, feeling like you're not in control of things, low energy, uh, diminished workplace performance, those things, they all take a major toll. And then what do they do in turn? they add to your financial worries because maybe you can't keep that job that you need. Yeah, it, it does seem to, to cycle out of control, which does reinforce the, the idea of being urgent about these things. And, and uh, even, even just uh, this part here in the beginning about trying to keep your job in a recession, it's hard to do that if your health is completely gone. And it's hard to keep your health if you're constantly focused on stress. So you just see these problems uh, compounding, uh, just like uh, just like interest does. We talk about that. That's another financial term. When you, when your interest compounds, it's like you then have ten times more money pretty quickly than you than you did at one point. Uh, if you if you're compounding these problems, then it's just so much trouble that you can't even hardly deal with it. Yeah, it's not a good thing when uh, bad things compound. So we're going to, as we go through this, uh, the week and the next few programs, we're going to take a look at this booklet. It's got uh, seven chapters in it, and uh, we're going to talk about how to keep your job, which is important, if you have one, (laughs) how to save money, 
fleeing the credit trap, which is a major, major concern, in which and they lay that trap for you every which way. Uh, getting out of debt, an emergency crash course, investing for the future, planning your estate and finding joy uh, even during a recession or a downturn. And again, I know the mood is a little better in the country today, and for a while it seems like things are okay, but you do have to look at the underlying principles of, of the debt that's being carried nationally, individually, and what do you do if you're carrying a significant amount of debt and you have some good times? It's easy to just spend it and think, like, it'll just keep going, but or you know, or to have maybe a feeling that oh well, if it all falls apart, there's a safety net there, you know that type of thinking. But uh, uh, those uh, uh, the points that are we're going to go through in this booklet uh, really are important to put into place, especially when maybe you have a little breathing room, as some people might have right now in the country. And that's a biblical principle as well. Uh, you know, preparing during the times of plenty for the times of famine, for example. Uh, like like Joseph did and 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 it's difficult to do that because there's not that forced urgency there but at the same time if we're considering uh just how dangerous it could be in a more shaky time it, it would definitely help a lot to make sure that we're prepared absolutely so we'll be taking a look at that as we uh go through this week but it's a great book to get you can get it right now if you'd like to free there at the trumpet.com solve your money troubles and you can download it and read it right there or have it sent to you, whichever you prefer. So we'll be going through that uh, in the coming programs. Uh, that's all the time we have for today here on Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. For Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.